0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mobile Home Park Minute. I'm your host, Tyson Cross, and today I've got a great guest with me, Andrew Chapman. Andrew, how you doing?
1: Doing great, thank you. Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. Thanks for coming on. So Andy's a—he's an appraiser, and he specializes in mobile home and RV parks, which is why we're having him on the show, obviously. But um, his, his area is actually uh, primarily Washington and Idaho. Um, works for Colliers and he's been doing this a long time. And so I'm just gonna flip it over to Andy. Um, Andy, give everybody just a quick background on yourself, what you're focused on or what you've been focused on, what you're doing now, um, and then we'll jump into it.
1: Sure, I've been an appraiser for about 11 years. I was with a smaller firm in Tacoma, Strickland, Heishman, and Haas for my first few years and then transferred over to Colliers around 2014 mm-hmm and been there since. Um, and when I when I switched to Collier's, we had had at the same time, we had had another appraiser who was focusing on on mobile home parks switch, switch to another career. And um, if that was an opportunity for me, and, you know, I've kind of kind of just taken a hold of that. And, and slowly, it's been taking up more and more of my appraisal work. And now it's probably about 95% of uh, of my work right now is uh, mobile home parks and uh RV parks.
0: Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So you started out what were you doing before that? Were you doing some multifamily stuff or just
1: anything? So when I was with Strickland Heishman and Haas, I, I I you know, I was just a trainee, so I would be, I would go wherever they wherever they wanted me to go. I did every property type. Um I did a lot of self storage. But um, and I never did a, a mobile home park for them or an RV park, uh, so it was all new to me when I when I when I started with Colliers. Um, so I have I can appraise all all property types, just about all property types. But um, yeah, primarily, I I do like the mobile home parks and the RV parks the most. Awesome.
0: Well, yeah, that's going to be very uh, relevant to our conversation and, and yeah. people listening. So appreciate you coming on. I mean, let's just get kind of start right there i think obviously it's very niche right so the fact that you specialize in this is makes you really an expert in values and things that are happening in the market trends i mean we both know this this asset class has exploded right i mean you yes see it. You're, you just told me before we jumped on i mean you're doing i mean you're slammed right and uh yeah. <laughs> As I think a lot of people are just in general with commercial real estate, but talk to me about what you've seen. You started really focusing on this in 2014, 2015, when you came into Collier's, uh, just talk to me about like what you've seen over the past few years with regards to where trends have gone, you know, wh- what values are doing, um, cap rate compression, obviously everybody kind of knows that, but from yeah. your perspective, what have, what have you seen and where do you see things
1: heading into next year? So when I first started out, um, there were, you know, there were probably, there, there were, there there, there's probably around, um, gosh, there were several main primary regional buyers that, uh, would pop up almost every time a property was trans was, um, there was a transaction. Um, so, you know, I kind of got to know a lot of the, a lot of the buyers, um, you know, through them acquiring properties or refinancing, um, Today, you know, there there are tons of people that are interested in the property type. Uh, there's a lot of information out there about how strong the asset is um, as, from an investment standpoint, um, how secure the occupancy is at a manufactured housing community compared to a typical multifamily property. Um, but right now, there, I mean. Right now they're they're hard to come by the parks are hard to come by so there's there's definitely um they they're still selling very consistently but there's just a lot of competition uh from from buyers their their apartments apartment guys wanting to move into mobile home parks uh self storage guys wanted to move into uh, into uh mobile home parks so there's a lot of a lot of competition right now that has been been and i know that you know know this that's been driving You know, once, once somebody like yourself gets a property on the open market, they, you know, it's, for me as an appraiser, it's, it's, it's always interesting to see how far, you know, how far the the values can go up on these things. Cause it's, it's, it's almost anybody's guess at this point where how low the cap rates can go or how high the values can go on a price per uh, site basis. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting point when you bring up about the diversification or diversity of buyers across the marketplace, and yeah. i think that has exploded certainly with just the more publicity this asset class has gotten you know frank and dave obviously mm-hmm. being one of them but there's more podcasts like this that are out there people sort of realizing how st- you know how stable the asset is like you said yeah uh, it's very recession resistant i mean talk mm-hmm. to me what what did you see last year with regards to covid hit you know hitting and the in terms of the velocity did you see any difference did you wh- how did that kind of shake out from your perspective?
1: So we, you know, we, when, when COVID, when COVID started in March, you know, we started addressing it in March, 2020, Um, you know, it was very, we had no idea what was gonna happen. Um, It, you know, as far as COVID, we thought that it it would impact um, lower income folks who typically reside in, in manufactured housing communities or RV parks and you know there were a lot of very nervous uh, owners operators um but you know as far as i could you know of all the dozens a couple hundred parks that have appraised since uh since covid um there has been i have not talked to one owner who has had any rent collection issues out of what would outside of what would be a typical vacancy allowance in an appraisal. The typical vacancy allowance would be between two and 5%. I didn't talk to one owner who had been impacted, their income hadn't been impacted beyond 2% to 5% um, and and generally closer to 2% or lower. Um, A comment that I did receive a lot from owners was that issues with rent collection due to COVID were typically related to tenants that they had rent collection issues with prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so um, it, there definitely were some people, you know, th- taking advantage of the, of the, um, of, of, of the confusion and the, in the, in COVID, but, um, but for the most part, it, it, it never really impacted owners from a rent collection standpoint in the state of Washington, there was a moratorium on rent increases. Mm-hmm. So um, through March, March 2020 through, I believe, July 2021, you could not rent. You cannot increase rent, but you can now with a three months notice to the tenants. Um, So a lot of these owners, a lot of owners have been able to implement the rent increase they missed in 2020 or um, I mean, some of some of some have even done a double increase as to make up for the for the one missed or some have you know, not done one, you know. So, yeah, yeah.
0: we, we've seen that a lot. A lot of people are trying to do double sort of making up for that. And I mean, rents are just skyrocketing, like certainly up the I-5 corridor as you get into Pierce County, King County, those counties right now are really, I mean, the rents are really jumping those in those markets. I think you get over to Spokane Valley, they're also going up pretty significantly. And then coming down Mm -hmm. I-5, obviously Portland Metro is kind of always lagged a little bit, I think, right behind sort of the... Let's see, yeah. Like metro. Um, and then I would say, yeah, like into Salem and, and down for sure. So let's, uh, let's jump right into some of the nitty gritty stuff. Cause I think that's going to really benefit people listening. So sure. Let's you mentioned vacancy. I love talking like, let's talk about that because everybody, <clears throat> when we underwrite a park, everybody always go, you know, pushes back a little bit on certain things. Right. And, yes. and for, for good reason, I mean, <clears throat> one of them is vacancy and yes i used to sell a lot of multi-family apartments obviously there's always vacancy right with turnover that's understood Mm -hmm. in this in this asset class you typically you could have a park that doesn't experience any vacancy right because if somebody yes decides to move out they'll sell their home that person coming in buys the home there's no turnover Mm -hmm. uh, from a rent perspective on the landlord side so talk to me about vacancy what do lenders expect I know it varies based on market and location and, and asset class, but what what would be beneficial for
1: people to know about that? Yeah, so I, I completely understand this gripe from owners, um, especially, you know, when you have these parks that, yeah, like you said, are 100% occupied, all the homes are tenant owned, and th- just there's, there's really, I mean, you're just not going to have any vacancy mm-hmm. unless you know, you might have some rent collection issues potentially, but it's just gonna—it's—it's it's not going to be anywhere near the the two to five percent that's been taken out in the appraisal. Yeah. But the you know the banks, you know, the lenders—they require a um, a vacancy allowance. I don't have the lo- I, That's the one difference when uh, with the brokers' opinions, The brokers they can um you know they can be more realistic about the actual right about what's actually happened. But the but the lenders want us to factor in something for. Um, you know, any rent loss—they want to be accounted for. You know, for rent loss or just any, just any sort of issues. You know, you don't. As an appraiser, I don't want to give the value of how the property is. Is um, the value can't be what's what? How the park is operating at its best on its best day. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to account for some. You know, some slippage of, of, you know, some expenses not being not being reimbursed, or yeah. um, there's just there's just some there's just different factors that you kind of it's just kind of a risk. It's just a little bit of a ri- a little bit of risk is, is what it kind of accounts for is the way I kind of uh, kind of view it.
0: Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, I mean, the yeah. best way I've heard an investor describe it is like, you you're hired by the bank, right? You're not hired by yeah. the buyer or the seller. Therefore, you're yeah. going to look at the way the bank wants you to look at and from a bank's perspective, a bank is always wanting to look at the property as a worst case scenario. They're not yes. interested in pro forma or your best, like, Hey, what is the best year? They don't care about yeah. that. What they care yeah. about is their, their risk, their, their, um, not tolerance, but their, their likelihood of the risk associated
1: with that property. Yeah. Is that a fair Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And yeah. And, and, and if, if they did, you know, if, Also, if you think about it this way too, if the bank were to have to take back that, that asset, that park, you know, just in taking that over and having to manage and stuff, there'd probably be some, there'd be some, you know, um, they, they don't, they're not in the business of managing manufactured housing communities. So there would be some, you know, probably be some rent loss and some learning and, Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, yeah, so that kind of accounts for that as well.
0: Yeah. So, and, and I would say the other thing to add to that is a lot of times when we talk, when we're showing valuations or underwriting to buyers and sellers. I mean, one thing you can account for is, Hey, look, we're showing a 5% vacancy here. A lender wants to see that because they want to still see that the the park performs even with a 5% vacancy, worst case scenario, it's not going to happen. But as a buyer, you could say, look, let's just assume that that's not going to be there. So really we're going to be a little more aggressive on a cap rate basis, because we Mm -hmm. know at the end of the day, that cap rates a little bit inaccurate, right? Because we know yeah. there's not going to be a you know five percent loss to
1: yeah absolutely
0: so um, yeah okay great what about let's get into park owned homes because this is a topic I mean we've talked about this yes. here, but yeah we have an interesting uh, challenge when we're talking to owners about their homes that that are uh, park owned and fortunately there's not a ton in the northwest. Whereas if you go to like markets in the middle, you know, Midwest or the Southeast, I think they deal with a lot more of that, but yeah. talk to me about park owned homes. Um, how do you, how do you do that?
1: How do you explain that to somebody? So park, so park owned homes, um, we had, we had talked about this before, uh, they, the way, a, so a, when a bank is lending on, uh, on a mobile home park, they, they, so say a property has 20, just 20 sites and five homes and 15 of the homes are tenant owned five are park owned um the park owned homes depending on the the depending on the the condition of the park typically if you have a class c park that's kind of you know fair condition the homes are you know fairly dilapidated you know the bank the five park owned homes the the owner of the mobile home park could sell those to a tenant so that's one of the main reasons why a bank does not want to lend on um, to lend on the manufactured homes that the seller could sell them a historically, they've been considered a rapidly depreciating asset. And I would still consider the ones that are um, without renovation, the ones that are older homes still to be rapidly depreciating. However, another challenge is that, a lot of manufactured homes are rapidly appreciating yeah. in today's market. So it's extra, it's, it can be even more of an issue today when, you know, say you're buying a park for a million dollars, but you have $250,000 worth of manufactured homes included in the sale. You know, what are you supposed to do? Cause the bank will want you to deduct the value of those homes. So then all of a sudden you've got an appraisal for $750,000 and you're like, well, I have to come up with $250,000. Like what, like, right. what, how am I going to do that? Um, so, you know, one thing that's, one thing that I have seen, you know, it's, it's always best to to deal with the manufactured homes in a separate, separate transaction. They typically, i mean a lot of times they are sometimes the manufactured homes will be kept in a different llc under a separate but related llc right um you know if 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 the homes are in the um manufactured housing community purchase and sale agreement they have to be accounted for unless they are you know I've seen, I've had, I've actually had purchase and sell agreements where five homes are transferred. And in, in the agreement, it'll say these homes were transferred and no value was attributed to them. And, you know, I can look at the homes, I could say, you know what, actually these homes, the cost to renovate these homes and bring them up to a value where they could be sold is kind of equal to their value. So right. they're kind of a, they're a wash from that standpoint. So that's one way that you can keep the value out of the, um, the purchase and sale, but, um, you know,
0: let's talk about from a valuation standpoint. So if I have a 20 space park, right. And Mm -hmm. you, and you're an example, and I have five park owned homes, generally speaking, there's two ways that we look at it. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. one is you can, you can capitalize all of the rental income. So let's say those five park owned homes are renting for a thousand bucks and the lot rent on the rest, the lot rent, just by itself is 500. So in effect, yeah. you have five homes that are getting an additional $500 in rental income. Yes. So one way to look at that would be, you know, the typical way would just say, hey, all the gross income minus the expenses gives you your an NOI, and we're going to capitalize that, right? Yes. The challenge there is you may overprice a home, right? If you apply a low cap rate to a deal, a 70s home, right, that's going to overvalue yeah. the home, generally speaking, the other way to do it this is typically how we would do it we have a park right now that's you know 60 spaces it's got 27 park owned homes so in that case what I do is I'll take just the lot rent income only and the expenses attributed to the park not not to the home in other words I'll take property taxes out I'll take insurance out any repairs that are attributed to the rental to the the homes themselves we'll pull that out and then I'll just capitalize that on a on a park cap rate only, and yes. then take a shell value. In other words, hey, I think these homes on average, let's just call them, maybe the market's at forty thousand a home. We're mm-hmm. going to apply a discount rate to that because a buyer is going to just buy them, and yeah. so we'll take a shell value, add that up times twenty seven in this case, and we've got a value of say you know whatever that is. So call it five hundred thousand just for the inventory the parks this and then we combine that to have a total price i mean yes is is
1: that what you do so we yeah we 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 would apply lot rent to all of the all the spaces and then value the park you know based on the expenses that are attributable just to um just to the park right yeah and we would separate the income out from the homes um Typically we don't even I mean in, in, in the, we don't we're not asked to even value the homes yeah so, cuz they're not going to lend on um, yeah so it's not even it's kind of right. it's kind of a moot point but um but I you know I have been asked to do it and I have done that before it's just it it's only it's been fairly infrequently when it has happened and it has worked it's when it's with the really the class A homes that are pit set yeah um those ones are, it it can be an easier argument to make but um yeah so,
0: so bottom line is, and I think this is where people get confused, there can be value in the homes. The difference yeah. is when you're going to purchase a park that has park-owned homes, generally speaking, you're not going to be able to finance those homes. So, Correct. If, if I'm a buyer, if I'm talking to a buyer, what I'm going to be saying to them is, look, this is the total purchase price, but the park price is, call it $3 million and the homes are 500 So understand that your LTV that the lender is quoting you is gonna be based on the $3 million price because that's what the park, that's what Andy is going to appraise. He's not gonna be appraising yes. the homes. So in that instance, you're gonna to wanna to make sure you have enough cash to come in and take down those homes. Yes. Okay. That's exactly right. So how do you, how do you talk to me about how you educate people in that, because I know it's, that can be a challenge. Um, what are some ways, I mean, like you're dealing with that right now. You said you had a case study. Uh, or or an appraisal you're doing is that a difficult conversation for people to
1: to have to have with or yeah it, it's definitely a difficult conversation because yeah. generally by the time it comes to me they they they've, they've ha- they don't have any idea that that's how the bank is looking at it and you know i'm generally the one that's relaying that information to them um and it's not it's 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 not generally our policy it's that it, you know it's the policy of the lender the lender doesn't want to you know, the lender doesn't want to loan on. And I, and I understand, I understand why they wouldn't. Um, yeah. you know, in addition to, you know, the park owned homes, they're not, they're not the same as a tenant owned home for a property. Like if you've got, if, if half the, if half the homes in the park are, are park owned, that's kind of like an apartment. Um, right. you know, you rent it out and it's, it's more susceptible to vacancy, which is one of the, main reasons why you want a a mobile home park in the first place is that is the vacancy is is so or the occupancy is so strong Mm -hmm. um but you don't have that with the tenant owned homes um so you do there's a little bit higher you can get a higher cap rate if they're even if even if i'm not including the uh value of the park owned homes they are still you know spaces with park owned homes on them and they're more susceptible to vacancy so they can be you know, high, a little higher, higher um, cap rate is usually applicable to make up to that the the extra um, vacancy risk. So, well,
0: that's interesting. So, you're applying a higher cap rate. I mean, a higher vacancy rate, uh, but that would mean that you're actually putting the income of the rental in, right?
1: Or no, I, I would put a um I wouldn't put um a higher vacancy. I'd put a higher I, I potentially okay. put a higher sorry cap rate. Yeah, right. yeah, because it would be if you. The low, low cap rates, um, you know, part of it is just is just, you know, the, the strength of the occupancy and you don't get that when you have the park owned homes. Interesting.
0: OK, so you're going to you're generally going to go apply a higher cap rate overall to the park if there's a significant portion of homes. So in my example, 60 spaces, 27 park owned homes because of the fact that 27 of them are rentals or on notes, right? Cause they sold some of yeah.
1: them.
0: You're yeah. still going to generally look at that as a riskier asset. Therefore the cap rate's going to be a little bit higher
1: on, if they were on notes, I wouldn't consider that riskier, but, okay. it, but if they're, if they're just, if they're still park owned, then, um, yeah, if they're, if they're in the process of selling them, then I would, I, then I would consider those to be tenant tenant owned. But, yeah. um, but, uh, the, um, yeah, the park, don't, they're just, they're more susceptible to, um, vacancy, you know, you've got a tenant in there who doesn't own the home. So they, they're, you know, when you have the tenants owning their own homes, they're also, you know, responsible for their own repairs and maintenance for the right. homes. So, um, you know, if, if they, they have more invested in the, in the home, um, yeah. more reason to take care of it, you know, you obviously when you own something as opposed to somebody else, you're just, you're probably going to take better care of it. Maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, for sure. And that's a huge, huge advantage. I guess, is there, um, do you ever come across a park that has like four or five park owned homes and you just, you just value the whole thing? So you may say, Hey, you know what? All the lot rents 500, but these four homes or like an apartment, right? Cause some of these parks have like two apartment units or maybe yeah. like uh, a house, right? I mean, that's common. Yes. Too. We have a single family home. Do you ever just throw all that income in and just throw the like value the whole thing that way or or how do you do that?
1: Well, I always uh, I always I, I add the income from the apartments for sure. Okay. Income's in income in houses definitely. Okay. Um but the park on yeah, park on homes I always applied lot, the lot rent to it. Okay. So if it's if it's rented for 850 and the lot rent's 350 then I apply 350 to it.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: That yeah. is a really
0: good point uh, for people that <laughs> for people to hear. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. It is. It's very good because they're. You know, and 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 I don't want to like. Uh, you know, park-owned homes. They can. They they can bring in a lot of extra income totally. for you. So for the operation, for your operation of your park day to day, day to day. I mean, that can that can generate all your for all your capital expenditures and 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 stuff. So they, I mean, they can be great. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got a hundred space park and you've got like five park park-owned homes, that probably isn't going to impact you as much. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go with a higher cap rate for, right. for that significant, if, if it's, but if it's more like half, then, then that's, that's when it's more of a, more of a, an issue that needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's good. Uh, good info. So, um, Let's go jump into another. So kind of on that same topic, we talked about things in a profit and loss. So we understand vacancy, uh, we understand park owned homes. What are some other expenses in a, in a, in a typical profit and loss statement that generally a lender is going to want to see, right? I mean, some people don't have them, but what are those things?
1: Yeah. So number one, be real estate taxes. Sure. So real estate taxes would be handled generally, I will for me what I'll do is I'll look at what the taxes are today. Um, and then we will look at where our value is coming in. Typically the assessed value, gosh, is, is usually around fifty percent right now, but it's you know, generally between forty and of the value, but generally closer to, closer to 50% in today's market. Um, So what we'll do is we'll look at the real estate taxes right now. We'll get like five, five tax comparables from the area and say, okay, well, how does this look compared to these other properties? Mm -hmm. If it's in line with those other properties, then we'll just use their taxes right now. Or if it's getting close to the end of the year, we'll, you know, apply the next, the next assess, the next year's assessment and the, the whatever the close, the closest levy rate, levy rate that's been uh, issued. So we got that. Then insurance. Uh, we'll look at insurance. Um, I usually will look at their historical, historical um, expense for that. Then you know, weigh it against the comparables, because some people you know want to you know have high insurance. They 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 really insure their park. But you know that's not that that may not be the typical way that it's handled. You know, some people will have their insurance up around $150 per space. But if the market is saying $80 yeah. a space, then I'll use 80 space because that's, you know, that you'd lose a lot of that you lose a lot, of, a lot of value that that way. And that's just the particular way that the owner wants to run his park, which is fine. But um, I don't want that to impact the value of the park. Um, then after that, we go to um, management. Um, yeah. So this is a good
0: one because everybody has different ways of managing a park. Right. And um, yes. So what's your standard? How do you, how do you look at it? Just if you're going to look at any park, what do you typically,
1: how do you put the management in there? Yeah. So depending on the size of the park, you'll do an offsite and an onsite management. Okay. Um, and, it, it, you know, you, if you if it's a smaller park like 20 spaces or low or 30 spaces or lower um you know it's all all the homes are tenant owned and it's kind of just running along smoothly then you can get away with just maybe an off-site management um usually between five and eight percent total management um with larger parks the typical off-site management is between three and five percent so You know, some some owners will pay themselves, um, you know, between 10 and 15 percent, which is totally fine. But if I'm looking at their historical operating data, I will I will um, stabilize that. Mm -hmm. Usually, usually with a manufactured housing community, almost all tenant owned homes, 3 percent is a pretty is a pretty good, good marker. Um, Then with onsite management, it's typically, you know, again, that's another one I'll stabilize usually around $250 per site. Um, Some, some parks require more management and I, or require more management. And then I I would factor that in, but 3% and 250 for a really smooth running uh, park is, is, is fairly standard. Um, Then the other big one would be repairs and maintenance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's, it's, it's really good when owners, when you're going into refinance or you're going in for a sale is to clearly, mark like what would be your capital expenditures because they always get mixed in with the repairs and maintenance um and i can you know i can generally kind of get a good get stabilize that expense but you know sometimes sometimes some um you know some parks have higher maintenance costs for their septic or well Mm -hmm. um or you know their utilities or or whatever so they might have a higher one but 250 250 dollars per site is 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 a fairly standard Fairly standard amount, and then for you know we we'll have hand. some. We'll have some some administrative, like a hundred dollars, like around a hundred dollars for administrative fees per site, um, and then we always have to do a reserves, which is another one, sort of like the vacancy. Yeah. Um, we always have to put in like four between, generally between forty and sixty dollars per site, and that's just to like you know because again the with the bank if the bank were the bank wants to look at it if they what would they be getting back if they had to take back this asset and, you know, they would want to be accounting for uh, building up some reserves for capital expenditures. So 50, dollars is $50 per site is fairly standard.
0: Good. Yeah. And that's, that's the one we typically have a hard time is reserves, you know, talking to, again, it's more of a lender. Yeah. Lender perspective, not necessarily like, Hey, we're requiring it, but that's how we do it. Yeah.
1: And one, you know, and one other thing I should mention is that, um, you know, with the on-site manager, when I said that it's typ- or on-site management is typically around two hundred and fifty dollars per space. Um, you know, sometimes this manager, it, uh, well, a lot of times this manager is given a free space mm-hmm. for rent, um, and I don't include that. And I know at Colliers we don't include that in the um, in our expenses because of what we talked about with the vacancy. The vacancy allowance that we have is so high, between two and five percent. You know, it's generally higher than what would ever be experienced. So we just consider that free space to be included in that two to 5%. So that they're not really you're not getting hit again for it on on the management expense.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So in other words, let's say we have a 25 space park. Um, Mm. We've got a person that lives on site and manages it, we're going to we're going to factor in gross potential rent for the 25 sites. And we're just going to use that normal 5% vacancy and we're not yep. gonna include that management free rent on the expense side. That's right, yes. Great, good info. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool, that is super helpful. Um, I think along that same line, I think a lot of, we not a lot, but we do run into people that their, their books and records are, are not quite uh, in the best shape. Yeah. That can be <laughs> a challenge from not only a, a lending perspective, but also from your perspective what what do you see in terms of are there lenders that will still finance parks if their financials aren't really there like talk about some of the strategies let me let me rephrase that what are yeah. what are some ways that somebody can improve the saleability or the value of their park prior to going to market and by that i mean in terms of getting their financials in order so you know if sure. you're saying hey i want to sell next year in the summer and we yeah. take a look at their financials what are some things somebody can do to really position their park in the best light possible
1: so i would what i would do is i would first i would just make sure that the the lot rent that you're charging is in line with what people are getting in the market um you know we in the state of washington we don't have rent control um but you know the market kind of does people do for the most part you know there is a a kind of a consensus on on market rent generally um yeah. but again you can you know you can pretty much charge what what you want within you know um so um you know i would i would want to know what comparables in the area um the rent are mm-hmm. i would want to know which utilities are included in that rent um you know You know, sometimes, you know, you you may think that your rent, you know, five, my rent is 550 and and look, a couple other people, you know, their, their rent is right around that. So I guess I'm good. And then you find out that their rent is 550 and includes no utilities and yours includes water, sewer, garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's considerably, they're getting considerably higher. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a major value add situation for buyers is to find parks that have the utilities all included in the rent. And, um, that's just a, a, a great way to create a lot of value in your park, um, Mm -hmm. is to, you know, to find, make sure your utility structure is in line with the market. Um, and that also helps with your management too. Like if you have the, if, if you have, um, your tenants paying all their, you know, a lot of their utilities, uh, directly that, that can, that can be easier too. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so I'd want to make sure that the rents, rents were in line, um, you know, make sure you know, your utility structure makes sense. Um, I mean, you, you want to make sure your books are in order. Um, definitely. You can't come in. I mean, if you're coming in just for a refinance, you don't want to be coming in with some ba- with back of the napkin type, um, type of uh, <laughs> profit and loss, which if, if you're selling the park, I've, appraised a lot where you know you know some, a more savvy buyer is you know they've got their pro forma this is how we know it's going to operate this is what the rents are this is what we want to increase them to i that's that's a lot for me to go on um particularly how much i work in most markets i've generally got good expense comps to to um to kind of to kind of flesh it out okay um but if you cool. come in for a refinance and you just and you and there are some banks that will, that will work with you, Mm -hmm. but generally you need to show, you know, your rent collection is in line. you, I, I'm not sure exactly what their retirement. What's that?
0: Do they want to see 12 months of rent collections?
1: Yeah, I believe, I believe it's like 12, it's 12 months. It was three or 12, 12 months, but they want to see, you know, that you're, that you're getting, you're getting rent. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I know a lot of people see that that mobile home parks are so are very, very, very hot right now. Um, and I do see a lot of, um, you know, sellers that, that, that say, OK, well, they're this hot, this is what my park must be worth because of these sales. But, you know, those parks, they've done all this this work to get them into right. the position where they have this value. So, right. um, yeah, there is definitely it's not just a, um, the market isn't just like hot for every single property type yeah. or every single park. You, you got to do you got to get them in good shape, too.
0: Yeah, you got to operate at least on your value is operations, really. Um, So, so back to that point real quick, you mentioned, so if they have bad financials, a bank will still lend on that because you can go look at a buyer's pro forma effectively say, hey, we can prove 12 months of of rent collection. And we know based on our market data that these expenses are in line with the market expenses. Therefore, we feel comfortable valuing this, even though the, the seller has back the napkin financials. Yeah. Um, And a lender will will just will um, use your appraisal on that as enough evidence for them to
1: lend. Right. So say um, I'm I'm working on an appraisal exactly like this right now. It's a very dilapidated community where the the seller said, you know, we're getting 100 percent rent collection. Um, Everything's great. And the buyer got on site and they're getting about 75 percent rent collection. They need to put in. You know a million dollars or in renovation cost to the park to get it up to speed you know evict get some tenants out that um problem tenants out um and replace some homes so in that situation i can appraise the property as if it was stabilized so i say in a year say like oh it'll take us a year to get these uh this these renovations completed and in that time we will you know, we could, we can make assumptions that they will have the, the property stabilized within that year, especially if it's, you know, a, a buyer that we know we've seen do, do it over and over again at other right. properties. Um, and there are several, several buyers that are that are like that. They, they do a great job of fixing these parks up. So it's, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, I can, I can appraise it as if it, as if it's been fixed up and then deduct the cost off to get to that point. Um, and then that would be our as is value. And that's, that. That should be where the, uh, where the sale price would where would be right there. Right, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a good point. Cause we actually have a park that we're going to bring out to market. I think, uh, it's, you know, roughly 90 spaces. Um, mm-hmm. they have probably 23 tenants who are delinquent and yeah. probably, you know, I would say 80% of those or 85% of those are a thousand dollars or more. There's some uh-huh. large delinquencies there. It's the yeah. first park that we've come across in COVID that, is like this. Yeah. And all of them are tenant owned homes. And okay. so I'm having a hard time looking at that and val putting a value on it. And you're saying yeah. what you would do is look at it stable, stabilized and then deduct the costs to get, to get it
1: to that point. Yeah. So if the, if the, well, if the, so if the buyer would buyer came in with this, like, this is our budget. To correct, you know, the the deferred maintenance at the park, um, and to you know, I have costs. I have costs and and um, for for stabilizing the property. I have like ex, you know expenses and and whatnot to, yeah. to 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 factor that in. But if the you know, if you're if you're if you're buying a park, you know that's dilapidated, like we're talking about. The, I think the best way to do is to have a pro forma where you're like in a year you can kind of set you can set a schedule too or you can you can create a schedule you know with the 10 years this is where we think the park will be in 10 years but we're going to be completed with our renovation in a year this is where we expect the park to be at and you know i could check it against my comparables to make sure it makes sense and it's in a market that um you know i know i know well and i kind of i know that the expenses make sense um and i know that the buyer is you know knowledgeable in filling these and stabilizing these uh places yeah that's i mean that's that's how yeah that's how a lender lender accepts those those types of appraisals for sure
0: well, let me make sure i understand that so in other words if i have a 90 space park i know if the if the park was stable we'd place a value of you know let's just call it three and a half million uh with with a you know a market cap rate based on sales right so effectively Mm. if it was stable it'd be this cap rate in line with other sales in the market however because we know there's a significant amount of delinquencies what we're going to do is we're going to back out the cost of what we think it's going to take to get those units turned right so it could be legal costs it could be costs associated with uh some of the homes going away uh, bringing a new home in whatever that cost is let's just say let's $300,000 Three hundred thousand dollars, and that's going to take us a year or two years to do. Yeah, we're going to say, "Hey, market stabilized asset value is going to be around three five. We're going to back out three hundred to get us to a purchase price today of around three two.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Good info.
0: Yeah. All right, cool, man. Um, I know we're we're getting up to t- uh, forty minutes here, but I still want to ask you about. Sure. RV parks, because I think obviously this yeah. has been exploding. Everybody yeah. wants to get into the RV park game. Um, <laughs> what are you, how do you underwrite an RV park differently than a mobile home park? And there's,
1: they're, yeah, they, yeah, they're, they, that this is, this is a very interesting, uh, interesting property type. And it's kind of in, um, it's, it's interesting you know, cause there's, 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 there's several different kinds of RV parks, you know, there's extended stay RV right. park, which is, you know, mostly monthly tenants. Um, and, uh, you know, you have your overnight parks, which are, you know, usually along the, I like a park along the I five corridor where maybe you, it's not a destination, but it's a good stop on the way to Mount Rainier, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. Or you have your destination parks. Um, And right now with the explosion of the mobile home parks as a property type, you know, people have started looking to RV parks as well. And a lot of RV park owners have kind of been looking back at like how they run their park. Like, you know, maybe some people have been only taking dailies and weeklies, uh, tenants, and they're like, well, you know, we're – you know, half of our park is empty for part of the year. Why don't we just take on a certain amount of monthlies? Some have even converted the whole park to, uh, you know, to extended stay. And, you know, it's 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 surprising to me just how how many people are out there RVing right now and just out um, out out doing this. When the when COVID hit, I, you know, I wondered if if um, what would happen with the RV park industry. Just I had I mean I had no idea. But yeah. as far as um, you know, people are viewing it as a way to to safely travel, control your environment, safe from COVID. Um, and you know, after an initial where well, the RV parks were shut down for a few months in, in in Washington, once they reopened, I mean, they were just they exploded. They have been just mm-hmm. like full. You know, just you can't get spaces in places. I yeah. I praised I praised one where it was um, it was it was being it was proposed, and it was just a you know, it was just dirt. And I had three people drive up to me Well, I was just walking around taking pictures. And I had three people just come up to me and ask me when we were opening and, <laughs> and you know, how they could get their name on the list. Um, historically, I have, um you know, said just like uh, just like the, um, you know, having a park o- or a tenant or park owned home, mm-hmm. an RV is more susceptible to vacancy because, you know, you get mad at the, the property owner, you just drive right off and go to your next spot. But, um, you know, a lot of these park owners have long waiting lists they can fill those spaces up real quick. Um, so that's been less of an argument I've been using in, in, um, in appraisals. Um, there, yeah, they've, they've been very, it's been a very hot property type and I had seen, I, I've been using a stat in my, um, in my, uh, in my reports that not this quarter, but the previous quarter RV shipment, record had been broken four quarters in a row so um, yeah there's lo- there's there's massive sales in RVs to, to back up the the strength and it's been yeah it's been been interesting to see
0: yeah no doubt what are you looking at when when you're underwriting a transient park so overnight weekly not the long term right I think what we have is what we see is two two different parks really is a transient and a uh, and a long term. And then of yeah. course there's a lot of parks that have a mix, right? How do you look at transient parks? do you uh, and and what cap rates are you seeing now for those parks only versus cap rates that you're seeing on long term parks?
1: so long term long term parks generally will have a lower cap rate. Um, you know that they're not as low as mobile home parks, but they're pretty low. I mean, I've seen. I've seen uh, extended say parks sell in the five to six cap rates. Um, generally in the five to seven, I, I typically see, mm-hmm. whereas in overnight, whereas like a destination park, those can be generally right now between like 8.5 and 9.5 is what I would see, you know, generally what would, would I've would have been seeing a lot. But, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, in a, a market, you know, it's a destination park, you know, in a lake out in the middle of um, Eastern Washington somewhere, those, some cap rates can get up to like 13. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it just depends on how they're operated. Um, right. Yeah. There, there's the thing that, that can be the most confusing for um, for everybody, including myself <laughs> is, uh, is with a, with, an RV park, the typical way that you would look at it is there's the concept of physical occupancy versus economic occupancy, which can be really hard to parse out in, a, in an appraisal and for the reader of the appraisal and because... So the concept of economic vacancy would be that if you say you could rent a, a, a space for $50 for one day, then the economic occupancy, the economic... Uh, uh, potential for that for that uh, for that site in 30 days would be um, you know whatever that was whatever that 50 times um, 30. Yeah, yeah yeah which I'm blanking on just because right in my <laughs> so okay. so that would be yeah so that would be the economic occupancy yeah um, and then if you're renting that space for five hundred dollars for the month then you're only getting five hundred dollars of um you know, what, what yeah. the, um, $1,500. Yeah. Um, so that would be like, that would be your, your economic occupancy for that space would be 33% because you're only getting yeah. $500 of the $1,500. So, you know, a lot of parks, you'll have like a 70% um, vacancy rate, but it's, right. it's, it's relates to the, the economic occupancy, not the physical occupancy. And I get yeah. a lot of people go, like, what are you 70%? I was like, we're you know, we're full. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're offering the, the, the daily rate, then, then it's just the economic occupancy. And my reports, like generally, you know, the NOI, I mean, you want the NOI to – a lot of pro- property owners, and when I'm going around confirming rent comps, they don't, under, they don't know and they don't need to know the, the concept of physical versus um, economic vacancy. So it's kind of – it can be hard to get comparable information, and you just want to make sure that the NOI that you end up with is in line with how they've historically been operating, um, and That's you kind of back, you kind of back into it that way.
0: That's kind of the key, right? I mean, if you look at transient parks, the way that we're really going to rely on on getting to sort of an an income or gross income on a, on a projecting is to look back at like two or three years historical, right? Yes. And We're going to go, hey, this park's been operating for three years. They've been bringing in a hundred thousand dollars. We're not going to pro forma one hundred and seventy five. Yeah. It's <laughs> going to be around a hundred grand right? Cause yes. it, that's where they're at. Do you mm-hmm. then, do you then apply a physical vacancy to that? Like a, like a lender uh, required vacancy, or can you just rely on the historicals to say, Hey, they've been grossing hundred K in transient income overnight or whatever, nightly income. We're just going to assume hundred K and that's what we're going to roll with.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so when I apply the economic vacancy and it kind of comes into line with the NOI, um, that's generally, generally what they, they want to see. I don't add another vacancy on top of that. Okay. No I do. Yeah. It would be, it would just be the economic vacancy okay. I would use.
0: If you have a park that's mixed, right? Long-term extended stay, let's say 20 half the park is extended. Say half the half of it is transient. Do you yeah. apply different cap rates to those incomes
1: differently? No, we don't, we don't typically do that. You know, okay. we've, that's kind of one that we've been, we've been talking about in the office, you know, where you have, um, yeah. Like you said, it's half uh, blended because you can, you can look at the park two different ways. You can look at it as we just discussed with an economic vacancy, you know, usually around, um, 70%. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if it's an extended state park, then you would do it, just appraise it almost like, like a mobile home park. Um, and use like a, a, you know, a 5% vacancy or maybe a little bit more. Um, if you think that, you know, there might be some, some, some movement, um, but usually around five,
0: 5%. Okay. And then, uh, one more question on this topic, but let's say you have a motel and an RV park, would you, oh, yeah. would you take two different values or two different cap rates? You kind of take two values and, and apply them. Let's say if it was one property.
1: Yeah. I have to say, I have not, um, I've not come across that exact situation, okay. but I guess that would be similar to, um, to, you know, an RV park that had five cabins. I mean, there yeah. that generally be the same same thing um no we usually we use one cap rate for the for the entire for the entire park yeah cool all
0: right um man i really appreciate you coming on a lot of information here uh by the way for people listening uh andy you do have you do you do appraisal uh, appraisals for anybody if they just call you and say hey can i get an appraisal um yeah
1: absolutely i do appraisals for yeah for estate planning purposes um also, I, you know, I've done several uh, recently for, um, you know, uh, a seller's thinking about uh, thinking about selling their property, and they just want to know kind of like a market value. Um, that can be a good, a good, another good reason to go to an appraiser. Um, one thing that to keep in mind is, you know, the the difference between a broker's opinion and, yeah. and an appraiser's opinion is 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 Tyson can Tyson can tell you what the property is going to be worth in the future, and he can give you, you know, he, he, I always have to look, I always have to look in the, uh, in the rear view mirror at what has happened already. Um, so I don't, I don't have as much luxury as looking, um, you know, projecting towards the future, but, um, but yeah, that's, but, but I've, I've definitely, I've definitely done it for, for both reasons for sure. Cool. Yeah. and happy to
0: a great point you bring up. There is a difference between a broker opinion of value, which we call them BOVs and an appraisal. And I think the main difference that Andy just highlighted is, Andy's going to look at this a little bit more conservatively than probably a broker would. And so um, we generally are going to look forward and say, Hey, I think we can sell some of this upside that maybe you haven't achieved yet because a buyer is willing to come in and pay that because they know that they can get the park there. Right. And so maybe there's, there's, would you agree that like, generally speaking, you're going to be a, a tad more conservative, especially if you're just doing an appraisal for an estate planning purpose versus yeah, what we're going to tell somebody because, you know, obviously going projecting forward, you're looking back, there's going to be a Delta there between, you know, some values. Would you
1: agree with that? Yeah. G- yeah. Generally, you know, cause like we were talking about before where you have a value add property, you know, somebody has a property there. They know they, just from looking at the market, they think that their property is probably, they're probably maybe worth more than, than um, what I could prove in an appraisal. Yeah. But you know, and and and, and may, even if I know that what their sale price I know that just from knowing the buyers in the market I know yeah and then and knowing yourself um, I know, like yeah I know I know that they could they could get that but I'm having a hard time you know while applying the vacancy and the reserves and just the, the, the typical things that I need to I need to address in an appraisal those those things will kind of will chip at the value a little bit whereas I you know you can be more looking at you know the this will sell for this on the market. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So if you're thinking about selling, you definitely, I think you, you want to contact a broker for sure. Cause you're going to get a, you billion. want to talk. Yeah. You want to, yeah. you want to contact Tyson cross.
1: Absolutely. This is what you, do you want to cross. <laughs> <You want> to... <laughs> there you go. Uh,
0: Andy, anything else you want to add? Um, we'll put a way to get a hold of you uh, in the show notes so people. If they want, they can reach out to you directly, but uh, anything else that you want to add on
1: in terms of where you see the market going or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I consider, I, I have, I, I, consider it. I, I think it's going to stay hot. You know, as we talked about, um, yeah. you know, the manufactured housing communities are are good in an, in an up market and a and a down market. Um, they, um, you know, they're they they just they're a safe place. They're safe, safe, safer investment. Um, you know, one one thing I've been putting also been putting in all my reports. Bloomberg put out this chart um, last year. And it showed price appreciation for different property types over a ten-year period, and mobile home parks was were number one, with a four hundred percent appreciation over a ten-year period. So, um, yeah, and, and wow. yeah, so it's been. Um, I, I, I think they'll stay hot, um, but we'll, we'll we'll see.
0: Good for us. <laughs> i right? got no. Ev-
1: I've got no, yeah. I've got no evidence to point, point to the contrary. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey man, thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate you sharing uh, some time here and, and some of the tips and things that you look at and um, yeah, look forward to continuing to work with you and, and uh, maybe we'll do
1: it again sometime. Absolutely, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, happy to come on again. And you know, if anybody has, you know, any questions about the market or anything, I they think I can help with, I'm, I'm happy to um, and help in ways that I can.
0: Awesome. Well, okay, thanks, Danny. you take care, man.
1: You too. Thanks very much, Tyson. You bet.